Texas talking oh. What was that that you said? Texas talking oh. Gonna hoop upside your head Texas talking Tell me who can you trust When Texas guys Welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast. This is Chris Trailer, the new Executive Commissioner of the Texas Health and Human Services System. When I was appointed to this job by Governor Abbott, I told my staff that I wanted to keep a very low profile. If I was going to introduce myself, I wanted to do it in a venue with a very low profile and a tiny audience. And I could think of no better way to accomplish that than to do the intro for the Tribcast. And now your host, the wonderful... Emily Ramshaw. Thank you, Commissioner. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Tribcast for the third week of July. I'm here with Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Uh, Jade Helm enthusiast and tinfoil hat wearing reporter Jay Root. Can't be too careful. <laughs> and reporter Patrick Sweetek, who is not wearing a tinfoil hat, unfortunately. Oops, he's already uh, playing on his phone, and the, trib- and the Tribcast is only 30 seconds in. All right, well, uh, let's start with the spooky, scary... Uh, Jade Helm uh, story this morning, given that Root is uh, wearing an appropriate headgear. So we've got the Jade Helm military exercises upon us. What exactly is going on out there for starters? Well, Jade Helm starts today, and um, specifically in Texas, it's taking place in in 12 counties and at at two camps. you know, again, this is a, a military training exercise. It has been branded as, as routine in terms of what is actually happening and the kind of training that's going on, but the, the military has admitted that it is unusual for its size and scope. Uh, as some of our listeners may know, it's not just happening in Texas. It's happening across seven southwestern states, and it's going to be happening uh, over the next eight weeks. And so there is kind of an, an unusual element to it, in, again, in how long it's going on and how, mu- how much space it's, it's really taken up. Have they said what they're training them for other than how to deal with rednecks? Yeah. <laughs> They've been a, a little vague about what exactly they're training them for, just kind of, I guess, real-life situations. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, not a lot of detail on that front. I think I we guess. can all agree there's <laughs> nothing routine about this exercise. <laughs> you know, here's the thing that I was I, I was talking to Ross about this. Don't you think they would have hit the Costco's instead of Walmart? I mean, this is Obama. The Obama, this is, you know, Democrats, right? So <laughs> don't Democrats shop at, at, at Costco? The, I mean, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean. Well, so what did Abbott uh, originally do during the legislative session when the Jade Helm drama first blew up, and what's he doing now? Sure. Well, he kind of gave the whole uh, sensation a life of its own back in April when he issued a, a kind of directive to the Texas State Guard and, and told them to keep an eye or monitor, I guess, this operation as it gets underway to ensure that Texans, uh, I guess, safety, civil rights, privacy rights weren't being uh, violated. And that came shortly after a meeting in, in Bastrop where it seems like people were just um, – in a frenzy over this this whole operation, and there was an, a military spokesman there who was peppered with questions, and it just seemed like it all came to a head in that 24-hour period. Well, there there was the the poll that we had to Ross. Mm-hmm. You're more familiar with the the bottom line number. Was it like 40 percent were are worried about this? Is yeah, what, they, what's the what's you know the, the people that you know the the two things that stood out were the there was a large number of people who didn't know anything about this, but the people who did know something about it were really really concerned about it, and in particular. The you know the they hit a harmonic with the Tea Party Republicans. Eighty five percent of them thought it was a thing and thought the governor's response to it was appropriate and necessary. And 
you know, he clearly played the right note for that audience. And, and, and the rest of the audience didn't notice it. So in political terms, this was a complete winner for Abbott. Where does it look to everybody who, who right. wasn't? He knew what he was that. talking about. Yeah. Right. And so is he, I mean, what has he said in advance of this week? I mean, has he, you know, obviously he got some blowback, a lot of sort of blowback in the press after that, that first statement. What's he doing now or is he quiet on it? I mean, he hasn't been pretty outspoken. He has not been vocal about it in the lead up to it. Um, based on some other reports, it sounds like they're basically the governor's office, at least, is going to be monitoring it from from Austin. There's not going to be much of a kind of like on-site presence, and they're just going to be collecting information, making sure that constituents who have questions are, are, are I guess, getting them answered here in Austin. Um, you and know. They, they started, they, they, they really backed away from it almost immediately after the letter came out, and then it was like... They, they were sort of upset at the way uh, this story was portrayed, and, and they stressed and accurately that they're not monitoring this exercise in the sense that a lot of people kind of assumed, where you would think, oh, well, we have our own units that are out with, with uh, binoculars looking at people. They're just simply keeping up with it from an information perspective. but. The fact that this letter sort of gave rise or, or, or was seen as giving legitimacy to the conspiracy theories, I think. It, it was it, early enough in his first couple of weeks as governor that I think they were also probably discovering that the microphone was louder than it was for the attorney general. Right. Mm -hmm. That, you know, you could put a letter like this out if you were the attorney general and hardly anybody writes about you. If you do it when you're the governor, right. kaboom. Yeah. Yeah. Has, have we heard anything? This was sort of the first issue to expose some daylight between Abbott and Perry, you know, Perry came out pretty quickly and said, you know, nothing to worry about here. Let's settle down. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's let's trust our military. You know, have we heard anything from Rick Perry in the last couple of days on, ahead of? No, I, mean, I don't think I don't think we have. But w w one thing that was striking was, um, you know, I went to Iowa with him shortly after this this blew up, and at like the first three stops, whenever they opened it up to questions, the first or second question out in Iowa was about Jade Helm, and everyone wanted to know what Rick Perry thought of Jade Helm because he was such a you know a longtime Texas governor, and so clearly there's there's some interest in it out there, and you talk to uh, people on Perry's campaign, and and they said it's you know we were in Florida last week, and he was getting the same questions, so clearly. Um, at least in these audiences that are on the the Republican presidential campaign trail, there's some interest in it. Well, that, you know, and a lot of other Republicans, uh, uh, I think it was Mac Thornberry, the congressman, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, was sort of threw Abbott under the bus, and so did, of course, former state representative Todd Smith was very critical. So he got there was some intra intra Republican. Yeah, party I mean, I think the the, the backlash on it was bipartisan in a way, um, but as we discussed earlier, I think. It was a net positive politically for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the people that are in the the primary voters, the activists who are paying attention to the presidential candidates, were exactly the group that was most positively responsive to this in our polling. And it was off the charts responsive. It was you know they they liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did did you feel like that was not necessarily that they bought into all these individual conspiracy theories about Walmart and whatnot, or that they just had a, a general mistrust of the, the federal government? They, they generally, I mean, it was clear they distrust the federal government. They um, they trust the military to a point, but you know thought this was sort of an odd mm -hmm. thing that ought to be watched, and thought the governor was right to you know send some people in to watch it that polling did not use the term jade helm right it did not use the term jade right helm. and so right. i wonder how much it plays into you know like americans concerns more broadly including democrats you know about surveillance and that kind of stuff in light of some of the nsa well, and the democrats weren't crazy about this one but you know a different question in the same poll said how likely do you think it is for the united states to send military in 
to do these things. And these things, there were four or five things. I don't have it in front of me, but there were four or five things. And one of them was to stop a political protest. And the numbers on that were pretty high. A majority of people thought, yeah, you know, the federal government is likely to do that. And that was high among liberals and conservatives in the poll. But there was also like a really high percentage of people who thought that martial law really was going to happen, right? Which, right. again, you know, you can't be too careful. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, right. since we're on the conspiracy theorist topic here, uh, there was news this week by uh, reporter Morgan Smith that there was an interesting coalition of folks behind a bill that Abbott uh, vetoed around mental health and how long you could hold people in hospitals if you thought they were a risk to themselves. Anybody want to run us through the strange bedfellows? Was, was Senate award? Bill 359 or House Bill 359? Oh, geez. 359. Three, yeah. 359. Yeah. So <laughs> look up Morgan Smith on the text. <laughs> right. um, somebody ought to know that. Um, anyway, it sailed through the House and sailed through the Senate, and it was a bill that basically said they could hold you for four hours if they thought you were a dangerous person to yourself. And... Um, when it got to the governor's desk, this coalition showed up. This was a bill that sailed through, you know, NAMI, the um, National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, what she said. The and the Texas, Texas Medical, Medical Association, Association and a bunch of others were in favor of this. And it didn't look like a thing. And all of a sudden, this coalition popped up. And I don't have the name of the group in front of me, but it's affiliated with the Church of Scientology was one of several groups in this sort of sudden coalition that popped up and started saying, the governor ought to veto this. This is allowing hospitals to hold people custody against their will. And in fact, when he got to it, he vetoed it. The group is, it's really interesting. It's this, there's a group called the Citizens Commission on Human Rights that's backed by the Church of Scientology. And it's been involved in the legislature for a number of years around issues like psychotropic drugs and foster care. Um, you know, it's only in the last few years that it became clear that this group was, was you know, directly linked to the Church <coughs> of Scientology. But some of the other folks who were lobbying Abbott in this sort of strange alliance included, um, you know, the, a group of homeschoolers, um, a group of anti-vaxxers a group that's concerned about fluoride in water locally in Austin, and LULAC, <laughs> which, yeah. which, you the know. League of United Latin American yeah. Citizens, which right. is usually involved in voting rights and civil rights cases. Right. I think yeah, their yeah. concern was that their you know, members might be disproportionately uh, affected by this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abbott's office did not comment on you know, their decision on this, right, other than releasing a veto statement. Mm-hmm. They did, and this is—I th- I believe this is one of the early vetoes. You know, I mean, so it caught a little attention because it kind of stood by itself. It came out that that week before the end of the veto period, um, and I believe this is also another one of them where the the the, the sponsor or author of the bill had no problem coming out and publicly saying, "I thought we were cool on this." Um, you know, it sounded like this was you know unexpected. Go, right. you know. There is some sort of interesting, slightly strange email traffic where you can see the emails to the governor's office from um, the man who represents the Citizens Commission on Human Rights, the Scientology group, where it appears as though he's had a conversation with Cecilia Abbott. Um, so that's a little, was slightly illuminating. The language he uses indicates that he talked to her and that, you know, he would like to, you know, take her up on the offer of her visiting his office and stuff. So there was... Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting piece behind the curtain I think right. that, you know the story here is just the unusual nature of the, of the coalition that sometimes I guess coalesces around these these veto efforts well right. I think there, there's a little bit of a narrative too of Abbott and you know you, you get this this narrative with every high elected official that you're listening to a, a group of people that either there's either some political angle or some donor angle we also saw the email earlier uh, between him and well we think it's him we're pretty sure it's him <laughs> and uh, 
uh, Dick Weekly, uh, the head of Texans for Lawsuit Reform, um, and you know the criticism being that oh well you're listening to a donor or you're listening to some small group of people uh, or Jade Helm whatever right. where where there's some political angle um, there there is that narrative out there right I mean you do see him and Jade Helm is another example sort of you know listening closely to sort of people on the libertarian side of the spectrum you know people with with sort of a lot of sort of civil liberties concerns. Well, so. some of that is, you know, who's most likely to write? People with a political concern, right. people with, a, you know, right, right. with hats like Jay's. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, let's head back to Rick Perry, who's been all over the place on the campaign trail. We had a, a series of stories this week on Perry. Um, first, we got a peek at the, his latest round of financial disclosures. And there was a heck of a lot to learn in there about how Rick Perry is making his money and what he's doing. Um, Jay, you want to walk us through what we learned? Well, I mean, one, the, the big thing, that the news that that Patrick and I thought was newsworthy anyway, uh, was the this $250,000 consulting fee that he got from Peter Holt, uh, the owner of the San Antonio Spurs and head of Holt Cat, which is the largest caterpillar, uh, meaning the heavy equipment uh, uh, manufacturer, not manufacturer, but right. dealer. Dealer. Um, and Just a bulldozer salesman. Right. Well, yeah, something <laughs> like Thank you very much. Um, but um, that was a, quite a lot of money from a very significant donor. Um, one thing we didn't see on the report was how much he's getting from this board position that he has with uh, Energy Transfer Partners, which is the company started and controlled by Kelsey Warren, uh, Dallas billionaire pipeline mm-hmm. company. Um, but though these these two connections alone sort of um, pull back the curtain a little bit on Perry's relationship with his, with some very important donors. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, step back a second to the to Peter Holt, the Spurs owner. So is there any indication what exactly Rick Perry is doing to earn that $250,000? Just I mean, like consulting, What right? kind of consulting? He's consulting. Consulting. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> consulting on what? Well, it's a very good question. I mean, um, I, I, I think that's a that's a, a very fair question to ask Perry at, at, at some avail. The Spurs uh, are already good. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's on the Spurs that he. I hadn't even thought about that possibility. I was hoping. <laughs> yeah. Caterpillar. That's pretty boring. I'm hoping it's right. getting a little sexier. He's handling the Spurs successful <laughs> yeah. trades. Right. And, <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, we we really don't know what it's for. Um, so, but that's quite a lot of money. You know, just like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar chunk. Right. Um, now, legislators also this year uh, ended the practice of double dipping, which was sort of made famous by Perry, who was getting his state salary and his pension at the same time. Do we? Does this shed any daylight on his pension drawdowns? Well, one of the things that Patrick and I struggle with in this story a little bit was the, the time period that it covers is like 18 months. So there was like $135,000 yeah. from the pension retirement income. So, but we think that that's over 18 months because that's the period that it covers. But we're not 100% sure exactly yeah, what the time period. probably closer to 90 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and it was 92 yeah, yeah. is what we knew before, yeah. and that was the gross uh, The reporting period, I think, was January 1st, 2014, through roughly, basically, when they filed it. When they turned it, it in, was, right. you know, 
early, mm. very early, early July. July. Yeah. It also looks like he's been doing a fair bit of public speaking and getting paid for it. Um, I'm, I'm, does that have to be before the campaign, or could he be? It said something like ninety. He said ninety six thousand dollars. He said right. he was yeah. going to stop doing that at some point in the campaign. Yeah, he some said they, before he ra- decided to run or announced he was running. They said that if he ran, he would stop doing that, and it seems like he's made good on that promise. Um, the personal financial disclosure, I think, showed he got paid for three speeches. I think like thirty-five thousand to forty-five thousand dollars a pop. You know, life's, a life's a pretty good after the governor's office. <laughs> about a thousand a minute. <laughs> exactly. That's how you yeah, get paid, yeah, isn't yeah. it, Ross? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know what's interesting is normally we don't find these things out with uh, with former governors because you leave office and then you know the, you don't file we don't get reports or whatever. But because he's running for president, we have these fairly detailed reports that mm-hmm. show what he's what he's getting. So. Well, this happened with Dewhurst, too. You know, when Dewhurst ran for the United States Senate, right. Texas disclosure laws stink. And right. you get these weird ranges where, you know, you know that his income is between $4 and $400,000. Right. right. You don't really know what <laughs> Like it over 25000 Oh, well, it's actually $200 million, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> They give the complete illusion of, of, yeah. of transparency and disclosure without disclosing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Dewhurst ran for Senate, we found out, whoa, he's he's Mitt Romney rich. Right. You know, it's like $180 million or something like that. When Perry Perry ran. Perry, because he's running for federal office, has to go through these much more, uh, right. much tougher disclosure laws, yeah. and this stuff shows up. And the, the more interest, the politically interesting wrinkle here is that to qualify for the debate stage in, in August, Fox News is requiring all the eligible candidates to file all necessary paperwork with the FEC, which means your personal financial statement. So, you know, in the past... Um, Candidates have, have put it off, you know, and, you know, they, 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 they do get two 45-day extensions from the FEC. But, you know, all these candidates, including Rick Perry, if they want to make it on that stage, one thing they have to do is file this on time. You have to tip your foil hat to Fox News for that. That's mm-hmm. a pretty good one. <laughs> right. Have we seen Cruz's yet? Uh, no. He's asked for, I think he's on his second extension now, but his his uh, campaign has told reporters that they are going to file it before the, mm-hmm. the Fox News He debate. does want to get on stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Exactly. I, I actually thought, um, you know, we know that Anita Perry has had this long relationship with the Texas Association Against Sexual Assault. She's been, you know, an advocate for them for a number of years. I actually didn't realize she was on the payroll. I mean, this still showed she was. She made ninety six thousand dollars or something over a year and a half. Yeah, yeah. They, that's been there for a while, though. I mm-hmm. think I, I don't think that figure has changed much either. I think that it's, it's roughly been like eighty and or ninety. Mm-hmm. Well, so we didn't just learn about Perry's personal finances this week. We also learned uh, how all the groups that are supporting him are, are doing and where he stands in the field. What's the status on Perry's sure. presidential so he has, he has Now he has three super PACs supporting him, the third of which was created just several days ago or just last week. And who are the principals of these? So the, the network of super PACs is being run by Austin Barber, who's the... Like um, comic book hero. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, a Mississippi-based uh, GOP strategist that the Barbers have been close to the Perry's for quite some time now. It's Haley Barber's brother, mm-hmm. right? Son or nephew. Um, Henry Barber, for example, is is just an informal advisor to Perry. Um, and so these super PACs, they announced on, I believe, Friday afternoon um, that they had in total through, as of July 10th, had raised uh, just under $17 million, $16.8 million, which I think, you know, regardless, I know people have talked about 90% of that came from three wealthy donors. I think that's that on itself is, is a pretty strong number if you put it into the field of super PAC fundraising uh, so far. Um, obviously, no one's expected to come close to Jeb Bush, whose super PAC, you know, raised over $100 million. Um, 
for a Texas reference point, uh, Cruz, who's kind of in second in the money race right now, his super PACs, um, you know, they raised, I think, at least double what Perry's super PACs raised. Um, but nonetheless, I think it was a strong super PAC number. Um, but then the campaign put out its fundraising. And that was about like one a million, right? Yeah, one point oh seven million dollars. They went out to the the second decimal point. Um, so you know, it's over a million. Point zero 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 zero. Well <laughs> over a million. Exactly. Um, you know, which wasn't certainly one wasn't as impressive dollars. as the uh, the super PAC fundraising numbers. But I think you you put them together and you consider the fact that you know the super PACs are clearly being able to connect with some wealthy people. Um, I think he's he's again like we said in our story, competitive, certainly not dominant. Um, you know, compared to the other campaigns fundraising uh, numbers that campaign number the 1.07 million is, is pretty pretty far down well there. and these things will balloon or completely deflate depending on performance I mean mm-hmm. in, you know mm-hmm. as long as you have this sort of set in place yeah. if you look like the candidate in October or November all of a sudden all this money starts pouring yeah what well, was Jeb, like Jeb's, not the candidate they just you know disappear Jeb's hard money was 14 million or something like that wasn't it well, no, no. that that 14 million was Cruz's hard money oh, since okay. he launched his campaign Jeb's hard money I think was over 11 million maybe okay and so where's Perry in this field like right Yeah so if you combine the, the super PAC hall and the and the campaign hall Perry's in the middle of it so far. I mean, today is a deadline, so we're going to start, you know, people are going to start having to disclose um, their their totals, not, you know, just announcing it through their campaign or their groups. Um, but I think he's in the middle of the pack right now. I, you know, financially, I think he's, he's in a good place. Um, you know, these super PACs have been pretty active. I mean, they've already spent more than $900,000 airing TV ads in Iowa, and we just learned yesterday that they're now buying hundreds of thousands of dollars of cable TV ads to try to boost his kind of profile among a national audience. For well, the, he, he's for the like stage. tied at 10th with, yeah, 10th with or 9th. Chris Christie, yeah. isn't that right? Isn't that what it is? Yeah, so he's, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this air cover for him is coming at a good time because he's been kind of straddling the line this of the top This is to get 10. into the debate. Right. Yes. right. Meanwhile, it doesn't look like his attack on Donald Trump has done much of anything to, you know, inflate him in the polls. Given yeah. that Donald Trump, Trump is Trump still, yeah, well, so. Trump yeah. seems to be doing quite well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he, you know, he, he's probably, you know, as we wrote, he, you know, has emerged or positioned himself at least as kind of a leading anti-Trump voice. He's spoken out in, in media availabilities and in speeches against what Trump had to say about illegal immigration. Perry released a three-minute video speaking to the camera. Mm-hmm. I guess speaking to Donald Trump to the camera, um, <laughs> saying, you know, you don't represent the next the, up, El Chapo. Exactly. <laughs> right. You don't represent the GOP. Um, you know, the polling shows. I guess that hasn't. Um, that hasn't necessarily paid off in the polling, but it, it certainly has defined his image as someone who, I guess, is willing to go up against Donald Trump for, for what it's worth. Well, and it's, so, a, it's a classic positioning exercise. You go against the front runner, and you it becomes the front runner and that guy who's shooting at him, and mm-hmm. everybody else kind of disappears into yeah. the pack. But, right. it, I mean, it has served a, a substantive purpose, and that allows Perry to talk about border security, which clearly he sees as one of his strengths. Right. And right. clearly, you know, polling, if you, get, if you drill down polling and you ask voters who do they trust most in border security, you know, not a lot of polls ask that, but the ones that do, you know, Perry's usually pretty far up there. Well, you might be forgiven for thinking that uh, Governor Greg Abbott was out doing a little campaigning, (laughs) national campaigning of his own. Uh, In recent days, he has been in the great state of New Hampshire, correct, on uh, some kind of... uh, He hasn't physically been there, but yeah, he's he's been, uh, you know 
courting New Hampshire courting businesses. Courting New Hampshire, yeah. <laughs> courting New Hampshire. Who's, who's Going after them. Exactly? Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is another story. Yeah, right. So, so talk to us a little bit about, about his courting efforts. So, you know, Perry sure. did this a lot, too, with these states. Um, yeah. New Hampshire seems like a new, uh, a new target. Yeah, so we did a story kind of looking at the political context of, of Abbott's courtship of New Hampshire businesses, and it all kind of uh, came, you know, to coincide with uh, the governor there, Maggie Hassan. Uh, she vetoed the proposed state budget um, that had included business tax cuts, and the, the state GOP there um, has been outraged over that. Um, you know, her explanation was it didn't invest in things like schools and, you know, other purposes. Um, but Abbott has kind of capitalized on this, you know, just shortly after that veto and shortly after the New Hampshire GOP made it a huge talking point on their end. You know, they, you know, Abbott started, you know, sending letters to executives there. You know, he wrote an op-ed for the, the union leader, which is the biggest paper in the state. He's gone on New Hampshire radio shows and talked about it. Um, this isn't necessarily his first kind of uh, jobs poaching offensive. He did kind of go into Connecticut. This is a pretty aggressive one, and yeah. particularly interesting because one of his key advisors has such deep ties. Yeah, the to rub. The state yeah, of New the New rub Hampshire. here is that Dave Carney, Abbott's top political advisor and really a confidant, you know, based on the emails that Jay wrote about, um, is has been uh, the top strategist in New Hampshire for a, a national conservative super PAC that has launched a project there that is basically geared toward getting a head start on the 2016. Senate race. Kelly Ayotte is up for uh, re-election there. She's a Republican. The governor, like we just mentioned, is a Democrat, and the governor is considered a strong possible potential challenger to Kelly Ayotte. Mm -hmm. And so, as, as one of the people in our story put it, you know, it all just kind of fits together so neatly that, you know, this you have this budget veto by the Democratic governor there. You have Dave Carney, Abbott's top advisor, running this uh, multi-million dollar project on the ground there that's geared toward weakening the governor mm -hmm. there. And then you have Abbott coming into the state and basically basically uh, gifting the New Hampshire GOP a talking point against their governor. Mm -hmm. Pretty soon you're wearing a foil hat. <laughs> <laughs> God, who would wear a foil hat? Uh, is Carney still playing a role with Perry? Or is, no, is he's, that ship has sailed? No, I, I believe the, that ended after the presidential <laughs> that ship campaign. Burned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about the story that you had this morning in particular. Uh, you know, basically there have been some questions around how uh, Abbott is is funding some of these initiatives. You know, Perry was very vocal about how he was spending money on these sort of job creation, job luring trips. Um, mm -hmm. Abbott so far, not so much. Yeah, I mean, his office has been pretty silent. Mm -hmm. Completely silent. On, By on, pretty, you mean completely? <laughs> Try to be a little generous. Radio um, silence. <laughs> Crickets. Uh, so they've been completely silent on uh, how he's, you know, paying for these these travels and these trips beyond saying in their initial announcement about his trip to New York, which happened Monday and Tuesday, that Texas One, which is a quasi-governmental agency fueled by member donations, that Texas One would would sponsor it. Um, there's still a lot of open questions out there that, you know, Perry, at least, you know, it seemed in, in his announcement of these trips would try to be a little more specific. For example, Perry would provide a list of the members of Texas One who would be accompanying him, mm -hmm. or at least their their affiliations. Um, so, like, you know, if the Waco Chamber of Commerce sent someone um, along with Perry, um, you know, Perry's office would disclose that. Abbott's office, you know, they didn't put that in their news release, and they didn't get back to us on, on who exactly would be accompanying him. And so, you know, 
leaving that to people to piece it together through basically social media posts from people. On Texas trip. one yeah. is not any. There's no direct taxpayer money in there, but there's You're, some indirect. Yeah, exactly. So there, you know, taxpayer money does flow in some ways to Texas one. So it, through it's, chambers or whatever. Exactly. Right. So right. it has it has members that include corporations, civic organizations, and economic development uh, corporations. And you know, a sizable amount of these economic development mm-hmm. groups right. are tied to local governments. Um, we wrote about the Frisco Economic Development Corporation. It gets a hundred percent of its money from a half cent sales tax on Frisco residents. And so in that case, you know, um, it is, you know, 100% taxpayer funded, and then they they turn around and they buy a membership in Texas One. And Some so of those are funded with hotel motel taxes, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not a, a 100% direct connection, but you do have taxpayer dollars flowing toward memberships in Texas One, uh, which then are presumably, you know, you turn around and you fund the governor's travel in some ways. I continue um, to be baffled by this approach. I, I just don't get it. It seems like um, that if taxpayer dollars are not being used, and I, I have a hard time imagining that they would use taxpayer dollars. In other words, use some taxpayer dollars to fund some part of this travel, directly fund it with it. And if that's not the case, why wouldn't you just go, oh, yeah, you know, uh, we're not. Here's the disclosure. Let's just take the – this is this is a play completely out of Rick Perry's playbook. So why not go ahead and take Rick Perry's boilerplate language that says we're not going to fund this with that? I mean, I, ju- I, I don't understand that. Because there's a there's been I mean we've seen this time and time again so far with the Abbott administration. There's a there's a different approach to relating to the media. There's a different approach to what you're disclosing and what you're not disclosing. Again, if you was taking a play from Perry's playbook, you know, I mean Perry's folks provided, you know, responses to almost every question you asked. I mean, it's a, it is a different media strategy in the Abbott administration, one that's basically, you know, we don't have to respond to anything you ask. Well, and, and they, they seem to, you know, from what we've been able to gather, uh, sort of proudly uh, have that strategy. Um, and, and maybe it will work. I mean, we're, we're going to find out at some point. But, um, yeah, again, I, you just wonder. I mean, this is not that complicated to say how you're and, – and, and, and it doesn't seem to – it's a very legitimate line of inquiry. I mean, some things may be marginal. Some things, you know, you look at and you think, oh, well – um, you know, you're, that this is just a political thing, or your 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 critics are saying something. But saying how you're paying for out-of-state travel, it, it seems like a, a, a very low bar. Well, and if you're promoting the state, your own state business, you ought to disclose. Exactly. Seems, seems pretty simple. Yeah. There, there is one part of it that, as we wrote, is guaranteed to be taxpayer funded, which is the security detail. Right. right. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I sort and of... DPS discloses some of that, right? Yeah, they do it fiscal year quarterly. Right. Yeah. And I, I sort of was surprised in a way that Abbott has said early on, you know, I'm going to do sort of the same thing that Rick Perry did. I'm going to travel the, the, the country and the world promoting Texas. Um, you know, it's not... These trips aren't cheap when it comes to the uh, security detail. When you you look at like a trip to Washington, there was a trip to LA, you know, you're looking at figures of like $20,000 a trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, if you'd like to pay for our security detail, you can <laughs> send checks to Tribcast at texastribune.org. We'd also love to invite you to the fifth annual Texas Tribune Festival, October 16th through 18th on the UT Austin campus. Registration now open at texastribune.org slash festival. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And on behalf of Ross, Jay, Patrick, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening and watching. Texas talking. 
This will be our last communication uh, <laughs> before martial law. <laughs>